Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome to our 200th episode of She Said, She Said podcast. I am so delighted to celebrate this little milestone with you because without you, we wouldn't be here. Now, before we jump into today's conversation, I wanna take just a minute to tell you how much I appreciate you and how much I love that you're investing your time in a way that is a direct investment in you. I truly, truly love the opportunity to share amazing guests and their stories and advice and to create content for you that I hope will support you on your journey, whatever that may be. I'm really gratified that you're finding the investment of your time here with us valuable and worthwhile and that you're coming back week after week. I really love that. I also hope that you're thinking about this big concept of influence in your life in a way that's maybe even broader than you had before you started listening and that this topic of influence and all of its dimensions can further strengthen the impact that you have on the world. We've built something really special together. And again, I am truly, truly grateful to you. Now, going forward, my aim is to continue to share content that I hope will be inspirational, insightful, and of course, always positive to give your week a little boost, but also with a healthy dose of practicality in the form of tools and tactics for tackling really common challenges in your life and career. In a few weeks, I'll be taking a short break for part of the summer to recharge and reflect on these past 200 episodes. As you know, I've talked about this many times and many of my guests have mentioned this, the importance of taking a step back and reflecting on your work and celebrating both the big milestones and the small ones too. All of them are really, really important, but it's especially important to step back and take a look at where we've been and where we're going. And I could really use your help in this exercise. So as I'm getting ready to take a step back, I hope that you will send me your feedback on what you've liked and what you'd like to hear more about. It helps me to hear from you. So if you haven't had a chance, 
please be sure to reach out. I would really, really love to hear from you. There's a link in the show notes where you can uh, contact me directly and you can always reach me on social media via the various platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. You'll find me at Laura Cox Kaplan. But for today, episode 200 is part two of my two-part conversation with financial planner, author, and business journalist, Bobby Rebel, who is terrific. If you missed part one of our conversation in episode 199, please be sure and go back and listen. This conversation is especially important as you think about the financial considerations associated with a potential career or life pivot. We talk about career pivots. We talk about taking a break, reinventing ourselves, getting back into the workforce maybe after a break, switching careers altogether, all of those things. But what we don't always talk about as honestly or as candidly related to this topic is money and how money can and often does drive our choices, sometimes out of necessity, sometimes out of fear, sometimes out of habit. For whatever the reason, it's important to be really aware of how money and personal finance impacts your choices. And this conversation with Bobby sheds some really important light on a number of dimensions related to money and personal finance. In particular, we talk about Bobby's latest book. It's called Launching Financial Grownups, Live Your Richest Life by Helping Your Almost Adult Kids Become Everyday Money Smart. We talk about how the choices we make to help our kids become financially independent can often have a direct impact on our own financial future. Now, before we dive into part two of our conversation with Bobby, I want to give you a quick rundown of four themes in today's conversation that really jumped out at me. These are topics that I think you'll find particularly interesting and helpful. Number one, Bobby's advice for not confusing your passion and your income source. Now, they may be the same thing, but then again, they may not be, and that's okay. Bobby makes a really important distinction here, and I think it's helpful as we think about this idea of pursuing our passion. Number two, Bobby talks about her biggest financial mistake. And the reason I found this so interesting is because it doesn't just relate specifically to making good financial decisions. Number three, Bobby shares advice for what you should know before you get married or before you combine your life with someone. Now, to be clear, it can be super uncomfortable, even icky to talk about money when you have love on the brain. Love has a way of making everything seem rose-colored, doesn't it? But, you know, not to be the bearer of bad news here, but as Bobby points out, it is super important to get on the same page financially with your intended and to make sure that your values as well as your hearts are fully aligned. And then number four, Bobby and I also talk about the relationship between confidence and personal finance and how our money situation can impact how we feel about ourselves. Now, remember, friend, if you go to the show notes for this episode, episode 200, you'll find links to Bobby's books, 
to the interviews and the books we discuss in the conversation, including some great ones to add to your summer reading list. I also include a link to Bobby's podcast, to her website, Grown Up Gear, where you'll get 15% off by using the code Grown Up. You'll also find a full transcript of this episode there. The best place to find the full show notes with all of these links is on my website at she said she said podcast.com. I've noticed that sometimes the show notes don't always present correctly on some of the different podcast platforms. So to be sure that you're getting everything, go to my website again, she said she said podcast.com, click on the episode, and you'll find the notes and the transcript just below the photo of the guest. You'll also find a link where you can contact me and share your thoughts about this conversation or anything else that's on your mind. I'd really, really love to hear from you. But for now, here is episode 200, part two of my conversation with the amazing Bobby Rebel. So there's advice from Kevin O'Leary, which of course, you know, most folks know from Shark Tank fame on CNBC, but he, he shares an interesting piece of advice as it relates to following his passion. He had a real passion for photography and he got quite interesting advice, I think from his father, from a mentor. Now I can't remember who actually gave the advice as it relates to this idea of passion, right? We talk a lot about go for your passion, go for what you're passionate about as we're advising kids and launching them into the future. All of these commencement addresses had something, most of them had something to do with just follow your passion, follow your heart. Let's talk about why that might not be the best advice. Well, first of all, I think you can follow your passion. That doesn't have to be your income. Right. And I'm going to do another book recommendation so we can put this in your show notes. I'm sorry to give you homework, Laura. That's okay. But um, the book by Terry Trespicio called Unfollow Your Passion, I think ah. is brilliant. Okay. And Terry had trouble figuring out what her passion was. So you know what she did? She just got a job. She got a job. And from just having a job, instead of sitting home being like, what is my passion? How can I monetize my passion? Hmm. She learned so many skills that are relevant to life and just being a successful employee, obviously pre-COVID, but she learned how to just, you know, make sure you were on time every day, dress appropriate for that job, interact with coworkers, interact with clients, interact with potential customers, and so on. And all these basic work-life skills that are important for everybody to learn. And she was busy. And while she was engaged and just living life instead of sitting home overthinking it, she figured out her passion, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's important to, to do versus just overthinking everything. I also think it's important to separate your passion from what you want to do for a living for two reasons. The classic reasons people talk about is you might not earn enough at your passion, at least not initially. So that is valid. The second reason is sometimes it can ruin your passion. You know, it's like the person that loves to cook that becomes a chef and then he doesn't want to cook for fun anymore because it becomes work and it kind of ruins it. Mm -hmm. So your passion, yes, you should follow your passion, but not necessarily as your career. Maybe. And you shouldn't have a career that you don't like. You don't want to go in and be miserable in the office every day. But I don't usually, I don't think what I've learned, I don't think that that's what makes you miserable at work. I think what makes you miserable at work more than anything is if you don't like the people around you. Right. right. Because you spend, no one talks enough about this. You spend so much time with this work family, virtual or otherwise. If you don't want to be around these people, and that's not something you can really control, sadly, in many cases, unless you're the boss. You got problems because you're spending way too much time with them, right? Yeah. If you don't like the way your boss talks to you or if you don't like the way that your subordinates um, are executing different projects, 
that's going to cause a lot more aggregation, no matter what the profession is, right? Yeah, because you're going to be, you know, covering for the person below you, you know, figuring it just it's a mess. So we overemphasize this passion, everyone should follow their passion in life. But that is separate from what you do for income. It could sometimes that. be the same. But generally, why do we equate passion with income producing work? Yeah, right. It's tricky right. though, because I'm someone that's hypocritical here because I did follow my passion, but I was able to earn a living at it, at least so far. And I do have a lot of passions that I, we talked about golf before we started mm -hmm. uh, recording. So I do have passions that I certainly am never going to be able to monetize, but it does get to be tricky. And I'll tell you candidly, one of my mistakes, and I learned this from Terry, who her book only came out less than a year ago. So I didn't have her book when I was making my decisions, unfortunately, Terry, but a lot of things that used to be fun maybe became not so much fun because they were my job. Right. So I've made mistakes, many, many mistakes, so many mistakes. <laughs> if you had to identify the biggest one from a personal finance standpoint, what would that be if you're comfortable sharing? From a general personal finance or a career personal finance? Either one. You know, well, the, the one that maybe sticks out in your mind that said, this is really the one that maybe I was the biggest one and I learned the most from. I'm going to think carefully about this because I am going to choose a personal one that came into my career. And that is, I, I was married briefly in my 20s. Um, they call it sort of a starter marriage. There were not children involved. But I think that I held back my career for my then for that husband. Mm. And I do regret that. I'm very happy I divorced him. And right when I divorced him is when I got the much bigger job at Reuters and got on camera. But he had been very derogatory towards my work. He used to say that I was a parrot. He would say I was a parrot. My only skill was reading the teleprompter like a parrot, as if I didn't understand what I was reading. And by yeah. the way, it is a skill to read a teleprompter. Of course but that is. doesn't have anything to do with not understanding what you're reading, especially when I wrote it. I always right. write my own scripts. So he was very derogatory and really took my confidence away from me in my career. So the biggest mistake was staying married to him for only three years, but still the three years mm -hmm. um, and marrying him, obviously, in the first place. And the best decision I made, obviously, was was divorcing him. And after I did that, I was really able to flourish in my career. That has nothing to do necessarily with why I divorced him. There's many other reasons. And the fact that I have a husband now that's incredibly supportive, um, yeah. even though he continues to earn more money than I do, he jokes about wanting to be a kept man and he is always cheering me on with my career. And so that's been really good. And I think that we should talk more about the choices of the people that we surround ourselves with, whether it is a spouse that you were, you know, formerly that you were legally mm -hmm. married to or a partner or just your friends around you. The people around you can have an enormous effect on how successful you are in your career and how you perceive success, because there's many people that feel that are successful that don't feel it because the people around them are not giving them that support. And we don't really talk enough about the impact of who we surround ourselves with right. in our lives and how that impacts our courage to ask for a raise, our confidence to ask for that promotion and so on. My ex-husband really took so much of that away from me and I didn't believe that I could succeed. Mm -hmm. And it's my forever husband that has given me so much support um, that really helped me move to the next levels and have the courage to sort of jump off the corporate um, rat race, whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, and start my own thing. Yeah. And his support, but not just his support saying, okay, I'll keep my corporate job while you do your thing and we'll see, we'll hope it goes well, but also emotional support and just believing in me that I could do it. That's such great perspective. And I, in fact, it, it's a great segue to kind of my next question, which is about 
marriage and when to have those challenging conversations before you marry someone and how really setting expectations around your personal finances should almost be incorporated into your vows. (laughs) I vow that I will be, you know, whatever. But maybe talk about that. I know there's a great story that you include again in your first book to remind you of that, that Sally Krawcheck tells, because it really did change her whole perspective around how she thought about personal finance. But maybe give us some perspective, Bobby, on um, your best advice for before you get married and how to have that, what can be a really awkward conversation or set of conversations about money and finance with your intended. And first of all, thank you for mentioning Sally Krawcheck. So she's one of those people that I reached out to and I was thrilled, shocked and thrilled that she responded so graciously and um, was in the book. And she has her own book that you can also put in the show notes. It is important to have those conversations before you get married. But marriage has so many unexpected twists and turns that it's also important to remember that you're going to have those conversations during and your perspectives may change. Sometimes you get married and you're both sort of, you know, spendy, spendy because you don't have dependents. And so you don't really have to be that careful with money. And you can do a lot of things that are just for fun and for choice and there aren't consequences. And then you kind of both have to grow up because you do have dependents and you do have responsibilities and you do have different expenses that come up as you go through life. So you should have more of a conversation about your values and your very big picture goals and the kind of life you want to lead. And you can have those discussions by giving examples that are real to you at the time because you can't predict everything. And that's always true. And people may be reactive to different things that happen in life. And you can't always anticipate all of those things. Sure. Sure. Is there maybe a set of, I don't know, some best practices, again, recognizing that you can't predict everything that's going to happen, but just in terms of level setting before you say I do, what what are the ground rules? Are there, <laughs> is there sort of basic information that you should know about your intended and vice versa? You should know what their debt is. You should know their feeling about credit cards. You should know their, their, their priorities in terms of their spending. I mean, I have a husband that like, you know, he is so mindful of every penny when it comes to certain things, but when it comes to like, you know, he just loves to go food shopping and loves his gourmet foods. He's not going to not get a certain food he wants because it's like, you know, ticked up in price. He'll be, but he'll be aware that it's ticked up in price. So it's sort of just making sure you're on the same page in terms of your general values and those kinds of things, because there will be things that you may feel are worth a splurge and they don't. And you also have to understand that you have to compromise. And compromise doesn't always mean one person spends less. People talk about compromise and they say, oh, well, you know, you have to get with a program. And it's almost like the one who's sort of better with money is always right. And the person that's the spendy one is always right. Sometimes it's the reverse. I've been accused of being irrational, of irrational frugality, basically <laughs> not doing things because I'm so afraid to spend money. And I'm always looking at the big picture and our total net worth and this and that. And we have to remember to live our lives also. And, you know, there's a reason why you've saved. There's a reason why you're being disciplined and so on. And also understand that there are going to be things that happen in life. And this is really hard were nobody's fault. I mean, look, there are people who had two careers that they thought were unrelated. And so they thought, well, if one career goes down, the other one will support. And during the pandemic, they both went down. Hmm. 
that is no one's fault. Right. And it's really important to detach from the blame of because things will go wrong in a marriage financially. You will find yourself with tough decisions to make. And the important thing is to not let the money get between the two of you to figure it out. And sometimes it might be going on, you know, a five-year plan to pay off this debt and understanding that, whatever it may be. But sometimes things just stink and it's nobody's fault. Sometimes it is someone's fault and you have to forgive them. You just have to kind of decide, do you want to fight for your marriage or do you want to fight over the money? Absolutely. Let's talk about uh, for a minute um, the relationship between confidence and personal finance. You sort of touched on this a moment ago as you were talking about your your first marriage. And while it wasn't sort of specifically related to personal finance, sort of this broader idea of how we feel about ourselves when we have our financial house in order. Maybe talk a little bit about sort of the psychological piece of money and personal finance. It is a cloud over you when you feel like you are not in control of your money. And we don't talk about that openly. We we hide it from our friends. And and I'm not going to say let's all talk about our money and lay our cards out there with our friends because that's not always appropriate. And I, I don't think that everyone needs to be transparent. I think you do what's right for you. But the reality is many of us um, hide behind pretending that everything's okay. And then you feel like you're the only one that is watching their money. I did something kind of radical this weekend. We had, we belonged to a golf club and we went to, you know, there's barbecue every night of a Memorial Day weekend. And you know, we went, you know, with our family one night and then I decided not to go the second night because for us to go, it was a certain amount of money times. It would have been six people. And, you know, my friends at the pool were like, oh, you're coming to the barbecue tonight. And I said, no, we're not going to go because we went last night and, you know, we're a family of six and it's this, it was a huge amount of money per person. And I was like, nah, you know, it's not worth spending. We're just not going to, we already did it. We did it one night. We're not going to do it every night. And I just kind of, I didn't say we didn't have the money. We could have done it, but I just right. kind of said, I kind of feel like it's a lot. And there's a lot of food and we're watching our weight and we're trying to eat healthy. And we had the exact same barbecue the previous night. <laughs> so, and I said, you know, it's a lot. It's one thing if it's just my husband and I, but we were six people. And they were like, yeah, it does add up. You know, I sort of got this all the support. Like, it is a lot times a big family to go to these dinners and the buffets. And it adds up. And it yeah. doesn't mean you don't have the money. It just means like, nah, we're going to go home and have a burger tonight. You know, we don't have to have the big feast every night with our whole entire big family. It's okay. And so I think talking about money in that context is fine. What you personally, for me, I don't think you need to tell everyone what your credit score is or how much debt you have. That's, that's your business. Right. And you who's know? interested so, truly. <laughs> exactly. And, and you don't, I mean, I think that, you know, people say, oh, let's all be more transparent with our salaries. Well, maybe I don't want to be. Hmm. Maybe I feel really good about it. I don't want my friends to feel bad. Maybe I feel bad about it. I don't want them to know that I took this client for so little money because I thought it would look good on my website to have that branding on there. Whatever it may be, you don't have to do that. I think it's really helpful if in the right context, you share it with your peers, you know, to help, to help all of us make sure that we're pricing ourselves correctly, things like that. But I don't think that we have to sort of be so transparent. There's a reason that people are uncomfortable talking about money. And if you're uncomfortable talking about money, then don't talk about money with people that don't need to know your business. Talk about it with your spouse, with the people that have a stake in your finances that's appropriate. But we don't have to be so open with it if it doesn't make us comfortable, if we're not comfortable with it, I should say. 
Yeah, yeah, makes perfect sense. But in a social context, I feel like I gave a lot of my friends an out because they could say, yeah, we don't have to go every single night to the barbecue. We'll go sometimes. And sometimes we won't go. And that's okay. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about this concept of influence that I told you I would ask you about. You ask about this a lot. (laughs) I'm a listener. (laughs) You're so kind. Um, This idea of influence and what it means to you. It can take different forms. And sometimes people have an an adverse reaction to influence because it's become about social media influencers and all of this, but it's really a bigger thing. Talk about what this concept of influence means to you as it relates to your work and your career now. Thank you so much for this question. And I have given this some thought because I did know you were going to ask it. Writers write alone. I have the privilege of interviewing some incredible experts, so I'm interviewing them, but largely I spent a lot of the pandemic alone writing this book. And then recently I put it out there and it's been so interesting to hear how it has influenced people. And I see now the responsibility that comes with it. it's wonderful if it's a positive. I hope it's been positive for most people. The reaction has been incredibly kind and supportive, but I think it's important that as the world of influence grows, and influence has always existed, as you say so aptly, it's really just a question of different platforms, different formats, different people having the power of influence. I think, and and now what's interesting is we have so many micro-influencers, and, and again, not just on social media, but in different ways. You know, it's almost like we joke about the the, the movie, what's the movie Mean Girls, and it was based on Queen Bee, something like that, a book called Queen Queen Bees and Wannabees. More for your show notes. (laughs) But the Queen Bee in high school was an influencer. Mm -hmm. She just, you know, wasn't on social media in our age, but the most popular kid in school, they were the influencers. I just saw, um, okay, more for your show notes. There's a documentary about Abercrombie and Fitch. And it was fascinating because I grew up in this age where they would literally hire the most popular and best looking kids in the local schools to work at this, at the stores. Why? Because they felt these basically brand ambassadors would influence the less popular, less confident, less good looking kids to purchase the Abercrombie goods, which were pretty basic and overpriced. And so Abercrombie and Fitch and this documentary is fascinating. I forget what it was called. Maybe white hot, something like that. Okay. Was fascinating in that it basically built a brand on influencers before social media. That's fascinating. Okay, I'm going to have to include that, and I'm going to check out the documentary. I've not seen it, and it sounds amazing. Um, Depressing, though. Yeah, we all fell for it. Yeah, well, it's it's so fascinating though because you sort of you sort of know. I mean, once you hear that, it's like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense, and it's kind of brilliant (laughs) in its simplicity, but really, really interesting. Um, I'd love to know, Bobby, because we haven't talked about this. What made you pursue personal finance, or how did you? What was it about this that so attracted you originally? How did you grow up? My father was um, a Wall Street guy and he was um, originally a researcher in the energy field, and then he moved into investment banking. And, um, and eventually he worked for a large company helping run their subsidiaries. And so I had been very interested in storytelling and the news, and my father really wanted me to work on Wall Street. And so it was sort of a compromise that I did an internship at CNN Business News because it was news, and um, but it was business news. So I would learn about Wall Street with the idea 
potentially. And my father sees this very differently. He says he didn't mandate this, but he did certainly suggest it at the very least that I would then be interested in working on Wall Street. So it was sort of a compromised job. And I really did love it. In fact, I went in, um, CNN, they had too many interns that summer and we were not paid. And so really you were there just to make connections and get experience. And there were too many interns. We didn't even have enough seats. You couldn't even sit down. You would just walk around asking to help people and see who you could basically try to get a mentor. Right. It's what you had to do. And so I realized when I would go in in the mornings, I saw people leaving and I realized these are people that are there overnight and they didn't really have the interns. And so I asked, can I come in on the overnights? Will you provide a car service for me? And then I could work on the overnights and help the people that were working on the shows that came on at six and seven in the morning. And they said, okay. So I got a car from CNN and they would pick me up. And I was able to work for people like Stuart Varney, like Maria Bartiromo, and write scripts for them for the morning shows and gain experience that way. So I think that was um, very key to my understanding um, how to network and how to you know, get people to support you. Yeah, and really and get experience find, and finding a need, right? Something that yeah. you knew you could do, finding a need and really filling in there because it was so competitive, as you just pointed out, having a room full of interns, obviously, everybody's got probably the same basic knowledge. Um, so find, oh, yeah. finding that that area. Um, maybe just one more question. If you could go back and give maybe 22 year old Bobby a single piece of advice, what would you tell her? financial or otherwise, I should say. I would say don't be in such a rush to succeed. You know, don't forget to live your life while you're living your life. I do regret, and it wasn't culturally as supported as it is now. I regret not taking a year off on purpose mm -hmm. to maybe travel or just do something else. I think that at the time, it was expected that you would go right into your career. And I was afraid I would miss something if I traveled. So even while I was, I didn't get my job at CNBC until August after graduation. And so in theory, I could have traveled, but I couldn't because I was busy waiting for the phone to ring. So I was so anxious to start my career right away, afraid that I would miss out because at the time, it's sort of, if you started a year late, they would be hiring the kids getting out of college the next year and you would be passed over. And that was largely actually true. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just in my head, it was true. So we didn't have the opportunity or I didn't choose to, some people still did take a year off, but it wasn't viewed as a positive at the same way that it is now. And so I wish I had taken some time in my early 20s to not necessarily work. Maybe I would have worked in my future career. I think you always want a kid to be earning money, but I, I wish I had done something like travel or just do something else that wasn't as career driven in my early 20s and not be in such a rush to move into your forever career. Yeah, that's great advice, really great advice. Bobby, it's been such a pleasure. I really loved having a chance to chat with you and to talk about these two amazing books. Thank you so much. I love that you brought both books. That's so amazing. <laughs> and thank you to anyone, anyone that has purchased my book. Thank you so much. Um, it's very meaningful to me. And so thank you to you for that. Thank you for having me on. Thank you to anyone out there that buys the book. Please let me know. Um, you know, do a social media post and tag me and let me know so that I can thank you. And if you have time, please leave a review on Amazon. It takes only a couple of minutes. I'm trying to get to a hundred reviews. Hopefully by the time this airs, I'll be there. So maybe make it 
150, but I probably won't be at 100. It's hard to get people to do them. I don't know why. I know. Well, and and if and if you're inclined, yeah, absolutely. If you're inclined to leave a review of the book, be sure and go over to iTunes and leave a review there as well. And tell Bobby and me how how much you enjoyed the podcast. Plus, we should plug your podcast as well. You have a terrific podcast. Maybe talk for just a second about that before I let you go. Sure. The Money Tips for Financial Grownups podcast is nearing 400 episodes. Um, I am actually in the midst of reworking it. So it's going to be very different in the fall of 2022. Um, So I'll tell you about that a little bit, Laura, but I'm going to be reworking it. But it focuses largely on advice for all stages of life. It is not just for young people. It's for all of us who are constantly striving to be the, be the best financial grownups that we can be and learning about personal finance and maybe learning a little bit more about investing. The stock market has been very interesting lately. Cryptocurrency has been very interesting lately. Right. NFTs have been very interesting lately. So that's a little teaser for what's coming in the fall, but please check out uh, Money Tips for Financial Grownups. I've got a library of almost 400 episodes there and I hope that you guys all enjoy it. And check out Grown Up Gear too, by the way. If you're looking for um, presents for graduation or Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthday celebrations, engagements, all the life stages, I have really fun adulting merch, sweatshirts, t-shirts, mugs, and so on that make great gifts and use code GROWNUP for 15% off your first purchase. Grown Up, 15% off your first purchase. And... Um, and follow me on all the socials, please. It's generally under my name, just B-O-B-B-I, B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L. Uh, the only difference is on Instagram, there's a number one, and especially TikTok, because I am experimenting with TikTok, and I need all the love and support I can get. Um, okay, yeah. you guys, lots and lots and lots of stuff that we're, we've packed in the show notes for this episode. Bobby's given me lots of homework, but you guys are going to love it because it will give you, you know, not only all of these great tips, including the 15% off for grown-up gear. So thank you, Bobby, for sharing that with us. Um, Also, her two terrific books, a link to her podcast, and a full transcript of the episode. So if you're not taking advantage of what we are providing in the show notes and the transcript, please do that. The best way to find that is on our website at shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. Bobby, thank you so much. Again, I really, really loved it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so wonderful. Hey friend, I hope you enjoyed part two of my conversation with the amazing Bobby Rebel. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on what in this conversation resonated most with you. You know, for me, as I think about the conversation, I think it was Bobby's thoughts about pursuing your passion versus your income and how those things may or may not be the same. We talk a lot about the importance of pursuing our passions, but we're not always as direct as it relates to the questions associated with money and personal finance. So I really loved that dimension of this conversation. I also loved Bobby's advice on some of the most important questions to ask as you approach marriage and the importance of aligning your values related to money. Oh my gosh, that's so incredibly important. Now, next week, we'll dive into the creative process with Grammy-nominated songwriter and author Amy Mayo. She is just simply fantastic. Amy's songs have spent 26 weeks in the number one spot on the Billboard charts, 
and albums featuring Amy's songs have sold more than 155 million units worldwide. She's written hits for Lone Star, Martina McBride, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Sarah Evans, Kenny Chesney, and many, many more. In fact, her hit song, Amazed, is one of my own personal favorites. And I'll bet you have a number of favorites in this list as well. I'll release the conversation with Amy in two parts, but rather than separating those parts by a week, I'm going to release them back to back next week so that you can decide when you listen to both parts. It's really the perfect conversation for a summer road trip. She has an incredible story, and I think you'll be so inspired by her irrepressible, resilient spirit, not to mention by her advice and perspective as it relates to the creative process. I think you're really, really going to love it. Also, her book, Talking to the Sky, which we talk about in the conversation, is being made into a movie. So be sure to follow or subscribe to She Said, She Said podcast wherever you listen to podcasts because you will not want to miss this conversation with Amy Mayo. Until then, you take care and I'll talk to you next week. She Said, She Said podcast is a weekly production of She Said, She Said Media.